This is the Other Bundesliga podcast. On this episode, we're looking back on match day six of the European action involving Austrian teams. And it was a magical match day six indeed for us here on the Other Bundesliga. Welcome to the Other Bundesliga podcast. Thanks for joining us for a roundup of the Austrian teams in European action on match day six in the group stages of the Champions League, the Europa League and the UEFA Europa Conference League. And it's a very happy Other Bundesliga team that you're joined by today because uh, there were some brilliant games, some brilliant results, all these things to analyse coming up on this episode of the podcast. My name's Tom Midler and I'm joined remotely by Lee Wingate. How are you doing, Lee? Yeah, good. Thanks. Wishing I was there with you guys on uh, such a historic week. And I'm also joined by Simon Clark. It's been a wonderful time, Tom. Like a, basically a thousand kilometres <laughs> we've done on this Euro trip. But um, yeah, a wonderful time. Poor old Lee, as, uh, he's drawn the short straw in a way there because it's Simon and I who are in the hotel room after traversing the country in thick snow to get to some European football games. But uh, at least all three of us can be together to talk about what turned into a brilliant week for Austrian teams. And let's start where else than with FC Salzburg, who qualified for the knockout stages of the UEFA Champions League in some sensational style in the end. They left it to the very last day, but they did indeed get there. I'm going to hand things over to us in the stadium because we got some recordings and some thoughts immediately as the game was in progress and after the final whistle. So we'll go over to the Red Bull Arena on Wednesday evening first. So we're here at the Red Bull Arena. It's match day six in Champions League Group G. And at half time, it's Salzburg nil, Sevilla nil. And Salzburg will be the happier of the two teams to go in level, won't they? Because Sevilla have had more of the chances. Yes, yeah, Sevilla have been on top for sure in this first half. They've had more possession, more shots, five shots to one, including even Rakitic with two opportunities. Both of them uh, have been, like one went over the bar and the other one forced a, a great save from Philip Kuhn, his only action of the first half, really. But if uh, Salzburg go in the second half with Sevilla having so, much, so many opportunities on goal, then surely one of them will eventually go in the back of the net. So Salzburg really need to tighten up at the uh, back. But at the front, I think, is the real issue at the moment, that they look completely toothless. The front three giving the ball away on several occasions, choosing the wrong passes, really. There weren't many opportunities on goal at either end in the first half hour. And on our TV in front of us, instead of the replays of the game, what we've got is actually a replay of uh, Sevilla against Salzburg, the return leg or the other leg on match day one. And a far more exciting game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot more interesting stuff happening in that one than there was out here on the pitch. But yeah, strangely lifeless, uh, a little bit off colour in the attack for Salzburg. So worrying signs. They'll be happy that Matthias Jessler gets the chance to talk to them now because they do need to come up with something different if they're going to look better after the break because it's a little bit precarious at the moment and my feeling was really that this is a Salzburg team that fundamentally want to go for the win 
but they don't need it. A draw would be enough for them. And for Sevilla, you can really see that they do need the win. I think this would look like a very different game indeed if the roles were reversed and it was Salzburg who absolutely needed the three points. So I think that's making them a little bit unsure of what to do. Yeah, it might be the inexperience of the team. Um, you look at the front three and, uh, I mean, Brendan Aronson has... Yeah, hasn't really done anything this first half. Karim Adeyemi had a few uh, a few, few glimpses of showing his talent, and no Okafor. Looks <laughs> like they haven't played together before. You know, um, it's a really interesting because we've seen these three players in particular be so fantastic this season in the Bundesliga. So um, I think uh, going into the halftime break, they'll have a talk. I'm sure they'll come out a second half. Bit of a positive from the first half is that the defence have held up well so far, but it's going to be uh, squeaky bum time if it stays like this. It's going to be pretty nervous stuff in the second 45 for Salzburg. So we'll strap ourselves in, we'll get ready, and we'll be back after full time with either some historical news from Salzburg going through or uh, what would be massive disappointment if they, if they don't make it in the end. But right now, it's on a knife edge at half time. The final whistle's just gone here at the Red Bull Arena and it is fantastic news for us at the other Bundesliga and for Austrian football in general because Salzburg have won it 1-0 with a fantastic second 45 minutes and they are through to the knockout stages of the Champions League. The first Austrian team ever to reach the knockout stages. Incredible achievement and, and what a turnaround for the second half. Yeah, as I said uh, at half-time, it's like the strikers didn't know each other but they combined for, for that all-important finish. Adeyemi on the left, br brilliant second half, and he p passes it into the middle, and Noah Okafor is there to, to tap home from close range. Well, he fired home, didn't he? He just smashed it in the roof of the net. That was all she wrote, and uh, Sevilla didn't really have a chance. that They had a player sent off uh, in the 60th minute. After that, it was plain sailing, and uh, Salzburg weren't threatened, and yeah, the players celebrating on the pitch over there, they're absolutely thrilled. A lot of hugs, I'm sure a, a few tears as well. This has been a long time coming for this football club. A proud moment for everyone involved with uh, Red Bull Salzburg, I think. Yeah, a massive moment for them. They do deserve this. You know, they're on the pitch celebrating like they've won the cup final. But it was just so impressive. You know, actually, Sevilla started the second half brilliantly. They hit the bar. That's as close as Sevilla came all night. Munir's shot uh, header from very, very close range hitting the bar as the Salzburg celebrations break out into full-on party mode on the pitch behind us. Fantastic stuff to see. But... The game management, once Salzburg had gone 1-0 up, was really fantastic. You have to say, as soon as they hit the front, they never, ever looked under threat in terms of losing the game. And I want to give credit for Karim Adeyemi, because I don't think it was a particularly good day for any of the Red Bull forwards. But Adeyemi didn't have much to play with in the first half, but burst away on one run and was hauled down and uh, gave a yellow card for Sevilla because he was hauled down uh, using his pace so well. And then what happens in the second half? He gets one chance on the ball in a good position, bursts down the left wing well, and finds an accurate ball in for Okafor for the goal. And then 
again, not too much else on the attacking front for Adeyemi, but one turnaround, they win the ball back in defence, chance to break away again from the goalkeeper's ball out. Adeyemi bursts clear and he's hauled down. He hasn't even reached the halfway line yet. And because of the pace that he's got, they had to bring him down. And that's why Sevilla got the red card. So Adeyemi had very little to work with and ended up, you know, extracting two yellow cards and an assist out of it. So, you know, obviously the two yellow cards leading to the red and uh, that sort of sealed the deal for Salzburg. They looked so comfortable. So fantastic news. And uh, it's just brilliant. You know, it could be a, could be a big deal in the next round as well, right? I am from Austria is playing over the speakers. This is the celebration song for anything happening in Austria. So this is, yeah, it's, it's a great moment for not only Salzburg, but the Austrian Bundesliga as well. For the fourth consecutive season, we now have two teams in the knockout stage. Lask, of course, in the Europa Conference League and maybe Rapid Vienna tomorrow. We'll, we'll see about that. Amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy, Tom. They've gone through the coefficient. Think of the coefficient. Oh, I was going to get onto that. But all the classic hits being played here in the stadium, as you expect. Same happened after the uh, uh, UEFA Youth League earlier, where Salzburg also defeated Sevilla to, to go through in the group. And uh, there was a bit of a bit of time wasting at the end. But, you know, that happens at the end of, uh, of the Champions League when you're in a great position. Matthias Jessler just lapping up some applause from the few... Red Bull Salzburg uh, Freund as well. officials. That's true. Freund, obviously, a very, very key man here with the, the, the sporting director and the, the manager. Soaking up a bit of applause from, from those uh, official Red Bull people who are in the crowd here tonight. I think about the the previous head coaches I've had here at Salzburg who never managed this. And, and Matthias Jesel has come in and within six months got him to knockouts. Easy as that. <laughs> He's elevated himself already with this. You're right, above uh, an illustrious list of names. You've got Adi Hutter in there. Uh, there's so many, well, I mean, who's not a good coach? You know, Marco Rosa, Jesse Marsh, there's so many highly regarded coaches and he's taken them a step further already. So uh, a very important turnaround for Salzburg, given that it's been pretty tough form uh, in the last few weeks. So uh, I think this was looking pretty difficult, wasn't it? And uh, just to, what he must have said to them at half time. To, to take that pressure off and say, you know, go out, go out and try and win it. Because it wasn't just a goal, you know, actually Salzburg probably should have added a second. They had Sevilla on the ropes more times than Sevilla threatened them in the second half. There was, there was the chance at 0-0 still for Sevilla. And after that, and after uh, Salzburg's goal, it was, it was pretty much all Salzburg. I thought uh, Okafor should have scored a second, put it wide. There was a long shot, I think, from Tsucic, which uh, tested the goalkeeper. And chances at the end, Aronson really should have made it 2-0 and killed the game off. So they turned around a lacklustre first half into a fantastic second half. And they could get a truly titanic name in the in the new year. You know, Uber Vintern is the key thing in Austria. They say Uber Vintern, you know, to go past Christmas, to, to still be in European football after the winter break. Salzburg will be there. Uh, you know, they could be playing against a top, top team as well. Yeah, they could be. Um, as two Englishmen, I think we hope for an English name to come here again. But um, obviously, any team they draw now is going to be a massive name. Uh, what an occasion that will be. February, March next year, when, when the game is played here, the atmosphere, hopefully with fans, will be out of this world. Yeah, definitely hoping to get fans back in here. I mean, we've had big games here before in terms of uh, group stage games, but to have it in a Champions League knockout, it's just, it's a stage beyond, isn't it? And talking about moving a stage beyond, you are right earlier to mention the coefficient. You know, the win tonight is fully deserved for Salzburg. They did well in their last two games, I thought. Played well against Wolfsburg and lost. Played well against Lille and, and uh, narrowly lost 1-0 there as well. So it was important also for Austria, you know, they picked up some points for the coefficient and also by going through, they get uh, a full extra point as well. So great news in terms of the, the coefficient and just great news for Salzburg. So absolutely brilliant. It's uh, so unfortunate that it's an empty stadium here tonight. It's an empty stadium, no fans in. 
to witness this fantastic win, but <laughs> Karam Adiyemi's just done his interview. He's jogging off in a, a very jolly fashion indeed. He's going to go down the tunnel. I think it might be time for us to sign off and uh, yeah. celebrate ourselves. Uh, let's jog off. There's some Heineken downstairs. Let's, let's drink and celebrate, Tom. The Red Bull fridges are open. The Heineken fridges are open. We will be enjoying this one and uh, a toast to Austrian football. Congratulations to Salzburg. We'll uh, move back to, to the studio for the rest of this episode of the other Bundesliga. Brilliant start to the European football week. Salzburg won, Sevilla nil is how I finished at the Red Bull Arena. There we go. That is what we made of the action after FC Salzburg defeated Sevilla 1-0 to go through in second place and secure passage to the knockouts of the Champions League. Lee, I mean, we've already heard our thoughts from the stadium. What were your thoughts watching that at home? How was your reaction? And uh, what do you make uh, a day further on about that game? Well, there were a lot of nerves, obviously. Um, I was watching a couple of games simultaneously, but all of my attention was very much on the Salzburg one. A bit of a heart and mouth moment when Maria had that header that hit the crossbar. But overall, I think that this young Salzburg team were well worthy of the win in the end. It was a lovely combination between Adeyemi and Okafor for the goal. And just, you know, just to place that in a bit of historical context, the first time uh, in two decades uh, that an Austrian team has made it through the first group phase of the Champions League since Sturm Graz, of course, and the first time in the knockout stage because Sturm Graz obviously got from one group stage to another. So just uh, for Austrian football, uh, a wonderful evening. And for this young Salzburg team, a well-deserved achievement. A theme of this match day six look back is going to be about the tables, the group tables. Do they lie in the end? Where does that fit in for Salzburg? You know, are they deserving of their second place? Will they feel they should have won the group? Will they not care? I think when we look back at Salzburg's Champions League history, you, of course, had all of those years of misfortune and qualification. And then you've had two campaigns in a row where they've gone out in the group stages, probably deservedly. I think the key issue for them was to get over the line. And, you know, every every knockout game in the Champions League is going to be immensely tough. They just needed to get there. Of course, they do now have a very much an A-list of uh, European uh, football royalty that they could come up against in the, in, the, in the last 16. But I think they just wanted to get through regardless of the place. In terms of whether the group lies, I think Salzburg's away form was ultimately what cost them, wasn't it? They, they didn't win an away game, but they won all three of their home games. So... When you look at it like that, I think probably second place based on that record is is fair. Lille just about edging them in the end and, and, and credit to them for doing so. I think when you've got three opportunities to seal passage and, and you leave it to the last one, there's always extra nerves. However, they, they said they felt going into the game, they must have known, you know, this was kind of the biggest chance, wasn't it? I think this would have been the one that they look back on with the most disappointment had they not ended up making it. And, and the fact that everything was still to play for between fourth place and, and the group win for Salzburg just added an extra bit of spice. But I guess uh, my earlier question was probably answered as well just by the video of the team in the changing room after the game. It was, it was quite spectacular, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, and we heard it from the press room as well. We just heard uh, these shouts of euphoria from the dressing room. And then, yeah, and yeah the, the, the video looked pretty special as well. They brought a whole bunch of beers down. We saw all these crates of beers being unloaded and they walked past us and we thought, mm, I'm pretty sure where these are going to go. And then, yeah, a few minutes later, you hear this raucous noise and you see the videos of, of the team in the, in the dressing room all enjoying the moment. So I don't think they personally, uh, they, I don't think they cared that second place was all that they got in, in inverted commas um, because... You know, 
that's what you want to be. You want to be at the top table, the kind of players that they've got in that team. You know, Okafor scored the winning goal. Adiemi's in there. There's there's talent throughout this team and they wanted to be in there in the pot and, and that's what they secured in the end. By the way, if I can put my neutral hat on for a minute, don't we all wish that more Champions League groups are as competitive as this, where you're going into the final match day with everything to play for, for every team? You know, across the, the eight Champions League groups, you had three group winners who won all six of their games. And it takes a lot of excitement out of it for me. Whereas this group, there were some evenly matched teams and, and some drama on the final day. And I think that really we could do with a bit more of that in the Champions League. How finely poised was that last game? You know, a goal anywhere at any time could have been absolutely crucial. And that helped make the, the Salzburg-Sevilla game so interesting. I think had Sevilla gone 1-0 up, it would have been a really, really difficult road back for Salzburg. Um, but crucially, they did it. Okafor's goal has put them into the knockout rounds. Who do you want to get? I guess that's the question now. You, you never know. The managers are never drawn on these things. They always say they don't mind. But fundamentally, is there anyone that, that stands out to you? You think... Yes, that is what I want to see. You know, this is the team I want to see coming to Salzburg. This is the away trip that I want to do in the new year. Uh, this is what the Champions League's all about. Um, we've got Manchester City, Liverpool, Ajax, Real Madrid, Bayern, Manchester United, or Juventus. Wow, I'm just going to read that again for, for effect because that is massive. The, the opportunities are limited to Manchester City, Liverpool, Ajax, Real Madrid, Bayern, Man United, or Juve. It simply doesn't get much bigger than that, does it? Well, I think in terms of whom Salzburg have the best chance against, I would probably say, and this may sound crazy, but Real Madrid or Juventus, because I feel that they are, although Juventus have played very well in the Champions League this season, they have looked pretty frail in Serie A. And I don't think that this is a particularly special edition of, of you know, Real Madrid either. They lost to Sheriff Tiraspol not all that long ago. So I think probably those two are the, the ones they have the best chance against. In terms of who I'd like to see, well, I'd like to see Manchester United come to Salzburg, not only as a United fan, uh, but also because it would be bringing back Salzburg's former director of football, Ralph Ranić. And can you imagine the pressing stats in that tie with a, a Ralph Ranić team up against this young Salzburg <laughs> side? So I'd like to see that. Yeah, that's very interesting from that point of view. I agree with what you said about Real and Juve as well in terms of their their current uh, 2021 form perhaps being maybe more achievable than, than they look on paper. Simon, which one stands out for you? Um, for me, it'd have to be an English team. But um, what I what I hope doesn't happen is like a, a repeat opponent because uh, in their Champions League groups, they've had FC Bayern Munich and Liverpool. So I hope it's neither of those two teams. So either Manchester City or Manchester United would be great. But looking at, you know, Real Madrid, you can't... If Real Madrid came to Austria well, once again, because they came here for a friendly, of course, uh, it would just be a wonderful occasion. Whatever happens, it's going to be a wonderful occasion. So I think Salzburg will look at the draw and be happy with whoever. Potential David Alaba returning to Austria as well. That would uh, add a nice extra bit of narrative to that tie. Um, let's leave it there, I suppose, for, for looking into the crystal ball of the round of 16 opponents, because whoever comes up you know it's going to be really exciting I agree with you as well Simon I, I personally would prefer to avoid Bayern and Liverpool just on the recency basis that they've uh, they've already been here but um, yeah whoever that's going to be it's going to be a massive tie Salzburg can go in with a really good feeling you know they've they've got it they've achieved their goal this one is, is a bit of a freebie really so maybe that that puts them in a dangerous position We'll take a quick break now on this episode of the Other Bundesliga podcast. And when we come back, we've got action from the UEFA Europa Conference League and also the UEFA Europa League to round up.
So next up on this episode, we're actually going to skip the Europa League for now because these games took place a little bit later in the day on Thursday evening. But where we were was in Klagenfurt, in very, very snowy Klagenfurt for the Europa Conference League. And it was Lask up against HJK Helsinki. Yet again, we've made the trip to be there in the uh, the, the icy cavern of the Stadion. So uh, let's go over to our, our thoughts after that game. The game is over in the UEFA Europa Conference League between Lask and HJK Helsinki from match day six. We've smartly retired, not just to the media working rooms because it's still just too cold at the Vertices Stadium in Klagenfurt. It's too cold, there's too much snow. So we've retired straight back in a taxi to the hotel where we can crack open a beer watch the uh, Rapid Vienna game in the Europa League whilst we dissect what happened in the Conference League in the warm and cosy surrounds. Uh, Simon, how did you enjoy the game? Uh, Lask finishing up on match day six with the, the perfect 3-0, a great send-off. Yeah, it really was a fantastic uh, send-off for Lask. Uh, a perfect way to end a perfect group almost. 16 points, five wins and a draw. They finished with only one goal conceded, which I believe is the lowest in the entire competition. So Lask have really proven themselves to be a, a proper European side this season. In the league, it hasn't been going so well, but in the Europa Conference League, Lask seemed to absolutely thrive in, that, in the situation. And they finished top of the group, but we knew this going into match day six. And yeah, they will uh, go into the round of 16. So brilliant performance for Lask. It was 3-0, but HJK Helsinki did have chances, but it was an easy win for Lask in the end. Yeah, it was. And we've got some Europa League stuff to talk about, which is going to be exciting as well. We'll talk about that later in the podcast. We'll just stick with Conference League for now because that's what we travelled on a snowy train across the country to come and see. And it was uh, a surprising team sheet from Andy Veland. But a lot of new faces, really. A bit of a, a, bit of a makeshift 3-4-3. Uh, three, three. Uh, Thomas Gebauer, 39 years old, uh, starting in goal. It was really nice to see him get a run out at, uh, uh, as captain in between the sticks and came up with some big saves early on because the back three, you had uh, Letar, Marisic and Lukaneda. And especially the back three just looked a little bit shaky early on. Fair enough. They don't know. They haven't played in that shape. They haven't played with each other, uh, alongside each other in European football. So... Uh, no wonder, you know, it took Lask a few minutes to get into the game. But in those early stages, HJK Helsinki probably should have uh, should have taken the lead. You know, a couple of big chances, weren't there? There was a header that went wide of the target. There was a big stop when um, when HJK had a chance in the left of the penalty area. I think it was uh, Hostika. I don't know how to pronounce Finnish names, but he was through inside the first six minutes or so. And uh, Gebauer, any thought that uh, he might not be warmed up, given that he doesn't get many minutes for Lask, usually he's, uh, you know, marshalling the bench. Well, he came up with a really big save. And I thought HJK, uh, in, in fairness to them, you know, this is a side who won their domestic league title for the 31st time back in October. And since then, they don't have any league games to play. You know, it's really, really tough in their position being a Finnish team, you know, with the summer league. They've only played a handful of times, well, not even a handful, just a couple of times. So they'd be excused for not being match fit. But with Lask's rotated squad, HJK had a really strong opening. This is a team that's only played twice since the end of October, as you said. So it's no surprise to me that they would be very strong in the opening 15, 20 minutes, as they were. And they could have been one, even two nil up. They had a couple of chances. But then as the game went on, they got more tired. And it's completely understandable because they're not playing any games apart from Europa Conference League uh, uh, group matches. But um, Lask, I think they were a little bit taken aback. Obviously, it was a weaker Lask team than we're usually seeing in this competition. 
But yeah, HJK really tested them early. But after about the 20, 25th minute, it was all Lask for me. It really was. Uh, Risky should have scored with a header. Once that didn't go in, uh, Lask really grew into the game. And Balic knocked on the door three or four times. A shot went over, some other efforts. Uh, a really nice through ball from James Holland. And then Balic had a shot from the angle, which almost crept in at the near post. But eventually, it was perhaps no surprise that it was Hussein Balic who dropped the shoulder, shimmied his way into the penalty area and smashed the ball in. He'd hit the bar as well, hadn't he? I remember that. He knocked a whole bunch of snow off the bar. <laughs> you know, it was empty, empty, cavernous Verdesi Stadion. Not much atmosphere in there. Plenty of ice, plenty of frosty breath. Um, a difficult atmosphere to, to warm things up, but he did warm things up in the end with the goal just before half time, And I think that was quite important for Lask. Yeah, it was. He was the the true attacking outlet in the team. Everything seems to, to go through Hussein Balic, and it's no surprise he's a wonderful player, and yeah, he definitely thrived in the UEFA Europa Conference League. Just going on to difficult atmosphere and how cold it was. <laughs> Tom, it was so cold. <laughs> it, it was minus two at kickoff, and it got went down to minus three by the end. This is not a it's not a time to play football, is it, really? This is the reason why we have a big winter break here in Austria, because looking outside, there's snow. Like, How high is that snow? Two feet, would you say? Two feet of snow? So, um, yeah, it's a credit to the team at the Vertice Stadium for clearing the pitch. The pitch looked immaculate, actually. But, yeah, it was a really cold night. Actually, that maybe could have played into HJK Helsinki, maybe, but in the end, it was Lask who became more accustomed to it. Yeah, I mean, we're used to it. It's December. You know, we're, we're on the verge of the winter break here, but this was something else. You know, it's, it really was snowing a lot in the last 24 hours in Austria. So we were coming here to Klagenfurt thinking, I wonder what the pitch is like. I wonder if it's going to be kind of match abandoned sort of stuff. But it, it wasn't at all. It was it was nice and green looking good. Well, uh, originally we thought our train from Salzburg would be cancelled. <laughs> we looked out the window and we were like, oh, because coming from England, if there's like an inch of snow, everything's cancelled. Everything breaks. Here in Austria, you literally had, looked out the window and there was, what, half a foot of snow and everything worked fine. It was, what a country we live in, Tom. <laughs> it was a very, very beautiful looking out the windows. The trees, the fields, everything completely covered in snow. But I've never seen that. The train tracks, the middle of the train tracks, absolutely full of compacted snow. The bottom of the trains, totally filled up with snow. I wondered how it all runs, but it still worked. We got here, we got to Klagenfurt. It's uh, not an easy trip for anyone, for Lask, let alone us, um, to play so far south uh, south of, of their Linz home. But um, yeah, as you say, they, they got accustomed to it better than the Finns in the end. Or I'm not sure if it really played into to anybody's hands, these conditions. It's a difficult night to play football. But um, in the end, what made me happiest really was seeing a little bit of the Lask of old, the Lask that we've been used to for, well, maybe the last couple of seasons, really. But it wasn't just Balic who was impressing, but um, Andreas Gruber as well. He's been out for most of the season with injury, had a shoulder problem and didn't really get back any kind of uh, rhythm in the squad. But he was back to his absolute dangerous best. Lask had this front three and uh, Gruber marauding down the right-hand side. He just looked better and better and better as the game went on. So I was really pleased for him. Yeah, I was pleased for him as well. Uh, he had a really good performance. But of course, uh, the, the second goal came from Tom's favourite last player, the uh, Japanese striker Keito Nakamura. He scored a, a brilliant goal, uh, tapping tapping in at the back post. It was a great move for Lask. And uh, I'm very happy for Nakamura. He's really proved himself to be uh, a very talented striker. Um, he ca- came in uh, at the beginning of the season and you know he, he looked like it took a little bit of a while for him to get accustomed to Austrian football. But now... He's uh he's scoring goals. He's he he looks very dangerous, and he's another great asset to this Lask attacking line. 
Sasha Horvat as well coming on late in the game and he's been really, really at home in the Conference League this season and in the Bundesliga too, to be fair. He's been one of Lask's better players, even though they've struggled. But he came on and just four minutes after he came on, he was chipping across for Andreas Gruber. That was a classy goal for Lask. Put some gloss on the scoreline, finished things off the way they deserve to. Horvat's chip across, Gruber's header into the bottom corner, 3-0. It was as comfortable as it sounds and... Just credit to Lask, this was sort of a compilation of the best bits that we've seen from Lask, not just in the Conference League, but this season in you know as a whole. Their, their attacking unit was working as it should and, and as it does on occasion. And their defensive unit was was brilliant, even with new faces. You know, credit to Andy Veland because it was quite brave, some of the decisions he made, quite bold. I guess he's got the freedom to do that, given that the group win was already sealed. But you're right to mention they conceded one goal, and we can argue about that goal as well, because it was Maccabi Tel Aviv in the Virtus Stadion, 90th minute and equaliser. There was you know talk of a foul as the goal went in and stuff, so maybe that shouldn't have even been given. But getting through any group stage, even if it is in the third tier competition, any group stage with one goal conceded, Lasker the lowest of any European participant in any European competition this season in terms of goals conceded. So you can't argue with that. And I uh, I was writing my match report and I kind of concluded that with when you've gone through top of your group with one goal conceded, you don't really feel the need to be scared of anyone, do you? Yeah. But they could meet some some pretty interesting sides. They skip the playoff rounds but they go through to the round of 16 and it could be pretty exciting. Yeah, it could be exciting. Just looking at um, a few of the teams who are dropping down from the from the Europa League. There's a few inter- interesting teams in there. We'll speak about that a little bit later when we look to, to all the potential draws for the Austrian teams. For the last, they shouldn't fit anybody because they've come through the group and they've they've now in their uh, Conference League journey so far, they've played five different clubs. They've won eight and drawn twice. They have added so many points to Austria's coefficient. And uh, you have to say that it's just been a really, really successful European campaign. Uh, yet another one for Lask, of course, a couple of years ago. Thomas, the Europa League tables. Yeah, looking at the third place, we have teams like Sparta Prague, P- PSV, who Lask know very well. And of course, for the English Premier League, uh, Leicester City. Leicester would be a very, very interesting team. There's uh, a Glasgow Celtic as well, who are very, very interesting. Uh, some some interesting teams there, but of course that's the playoff round, and then the teams that drop down from the Europa League will have to play the second place teams in the Conference League. Then Lask will play the winners of of that tie. So Lask actually have a very easy time of it until uh, the round of sixteen. They can just watch the eight winners up and the eight third place teams will play, and then the winner of those will then play Lask, who have won their group at a canter. Really, the perfect send off for this. Conference League Group A for Lask. They've been the best team in the group throughout. They deserve to finish it this way. A Kantersieg, as you'd call it in German, a very, very comfortable win, 3-0. Um, I hope that they wouldn't make difficult work of it, but they, they truly didn't. It was it was really, really good from that opening phase once that was over. They just cruised to the victory. So a really satisfying way to end off the campaign. And how nice is that to have them, you know, just picking up point after point after point for the coefficient. We love the coefficient. Obviously, Austria well up into the top 10, uh, cruising along in eighth at the moment. And results like this have done Austria the world of good. So really all positivity from from Lask against HJK Helsinki today. I think we can sign off there and we can come back to the studio where we'll talk about the UEFA Europa League and uh, more good news, in fact, for Austrian football. What a week it's been. And we'll say goodbye for now from very, very snowy Klagenfurt. Cheers. Uh, Crack open the beers and celebrate Salzburg's wins last night, the Youth League as well yesterday, and also Lask 
in the uh, UEFA Europa Conference League. Now on to the secondary competition, the Europa League, and back to the studio. All right then, that's what we made of the game uh, LASK 3, HJK Helsinki nil. A brilliant way to finish off the campaign, quite obviously, for LASK who topped their group. And I'll bring it to the same question as uh, as we brought up for Salzburg. Is there any way the table lies for LASK? Were they fully deserving of their top spot in the group? I think they certainly were. 16 points from six games. Um, and, you know, they, they got the better of their head-to-head rivals Maccabi Tel Aviv in the end as well, uh, because of course up until match day five it looked like they could finish a level on points at the top of the group. Um, on the night they were clearly the better team. Uh, perhaps that can in some way be put down to the fact that HJK Helsinki's season ended a couple of weeks ago, and you know perhaps they weren't quite in their in their full flow. But yeah, how crazy is it that Lask have got sixteen points in the Conference League and seventeen in the Bundesliga? The uh, the difference there is. Is so narrow and it was a memorable campaign. I think they've probably been uh, one of the best teams in the in the group stages uh, overall. You know, fewest goals conceded, most possessions won back in the final third. So I think probably the joint most points as well. I think Leon maybe in the Europa League got 16. I'm not, I'm not sure who else. So overall, it was it was deserved and I'm really happy to see them go through. Yeah, there'll be another team very much looking forward to that knockout round in 2022. Um, anything to say, Simon, about last the, the day after? Have your thoughts ruminated? Have you reflected on the game any differently than we did last night after we'd had a couple of beers? I'm just going to repeat what I said last night. It was just um, a, a wonderful group stage performance. And, and it really was a template for future Austrian clubs in the competition. They, if you're from the Austrian Bundesliga competing in the Europa Conference League, you can go into the competition and just win the group quite easily obviously there's a couple tough games against Maccabi Tel Aviv but you know it's a template going forward for the Austrian Bundesliga sides in Europe's third tier competition talking just quickly about Europe's third tier competition we began at the start of the season saying is the Conference League going to help nations like Austria we were excited that it might that it should um, can we look back now at the moment and say that the the Conference League is is doing you know is it is it a good thing for Austrian football has, has have Lask proved that by sort of dropping into that group and then and then winning it? Well, not only Lask have proved that, Rapid Vienna have proved that. I know we're going to come and, and talk about them in a little while, but that's offered them a route to continue in European football this season as well. So undoubtedly it helps. And I think it puts a few teams more at their level, um, you know, so to speak. They're, they're playing against opposition that they can deal with. I think I would add about, about this last group that, of course, they have done incredibly well, but they have been playing against two, I think, quite quite poor teams in, in HJK Helsinki who are domestic champions, but who have looked quite off the pace in both of the last games and an Alaska side that, you know, got one draw throughout the entire group stage. So I would add that caveat, uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv much more uh, worthy and, and level opposition. But overall, of course, it does does a lot of good for Austria. You know, we've got two more teams in that competition to look forward to in the knockout stages. And and that's, you know, something we haven't, you know, we haven't seen three teams in the knockout stages for the best part of four decades. So I'm really excited about it. So the Europa Conference League will be going on for us in 2022. However, 
the UEFA Europa League will not be continuing in 2022. So we'll round up the last couple of games from 2021's Europa League in terms of the Austrian teams. And let's start with Rapid Vienna because they had a very difficult looking away trip to Genk. Their backs were up against the wall in terms of qualification right from the off, really. It was a difficult campaign for Rapid. But on the final day, they pulled out a pretty miraculous win away at uh, Genk. And what a brilliant way to start the reign of uh, Ferdinand Feldhofer in charge. In just his second game, he's ended up navigating them through at least into third place and uh, continuing into the UEFA Europa Conference League. Would that have been the aim, do you think, before the start of the group stage? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, there was an outside chance of second, but I mean, to, for, for the ability to continue on in Europe uh, over Christmas, finishing third was the, should, should have definitely been a target for Rapid Vienna. And they achieved that with a, a pretty wonderful away performance, although the last 15 minutes had us looking behind at our fingers, Tom. <laughs> it was nervy stuff, wasn't it? Um, yeah, we, as you probably heard in the, in the previous audio, we came straight back from the stadium. You know, one game had finished. We, we got out of the cold, came back, uh, cracked open a couple of beers, finished off the match reports and stuff from, from the other game and, uh, and watched the, the remainder of most of the game, actually, of, of Rapid against, uh, against Genk away in Belgium. And it was a brilliant goal on the counter that had us, you know, punching the air in delight. It, it was joyous football that we haven't seen Rapid play on many occasions this season. It was, and it was a, a massive contrast from Sunday's Vienna derby, which I was at, where they, they started very sluggishly. Um, it was, you know, the worst possible start to Ferdinand Feldhofer's reign with a goal conceded in the very first minute, and Rapid didn't really create much. And then you look at last night, I felt it was a really combative and well-organised performance at the back. You know, a lot of successful tackles, a lot of possession turnovers in the Henk half of the pitch as well. Um, and then just that the lethal nature of that counter attack, a brilliant long ball downfield, and what a weighted pass from Torsten Schick just across the path of the defender, right towards Robert Lubacic, and an incredible finish as well on his left foot first time. So it was just great to see Rapid Vienna put in that kind of performance. I didn't feel that this particular side had that in them, and uh, yeah, they've they've proven me wrong and made me feel perhaps uh, a little bit giddy with optimism about the, the potential of, of the Feldhofer reign. I'm glad you picked out the Torsten Schick pass because how many times do you see that? The long ball's there, he's on the right, he's got a player on the left, there's one defender in the middle who's trying to position himself in the right place. So, so, so often you see the pass go straight to that defender or just way too far ahead. But he's absolutely nailed the weight of that pass. So everything was perfect. The pass out to Schick was quick. It was the only time Genk had a shot, really, in the first half. And then on the counter of that, Rapid broke away down the right. Schick's pass found Lubicic, who still had a lot of work to do, by the way, from where he was. And he just rifled the shot near post, left foot, first time finish, in at the near post. It was, it was a, a pristine counter-attack, an absolutely brilliant example of how to counter in European football. And I thought the game management that they displayed after that, actually, they absolutely bossed the first half. Uh, this is a rapid side that looks so motivated under Ferdinand Feldhofer. In all fairness, I didn't think they had it in them. Um, I didn't expect this result. But I really didn't expect them to be winning the ball back in the gank half, winning the duels. They won, I think they won 60% of the duels in the first half alone. This is away. This is a team who've won one match all season 
away from home. So simply, they cannot buy a win away. And that match, by the way, was in the uh, preliminary rounds of the of European competition. So that's the last time they won a, a match away from home. And then they go and do that, you know, and, and the changes as well. I thought he made, uh, the coach felt off and made changes that were, were different. I think we've seen Didi Kubau try the same thing over and over again this season. Obviously, he believed it was going to work, but it didn't. But then this time, you know, a few different things happen. And Rapid do come away with it. They managed to to ride out a very tough period in the second half. Um, what about that from Genk? You know, will they feel a bit hard done by? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was just an onslaught, wasn't it? <laughs> it was an onslaught for about 10, 15 minutes. Uh, chances uh, going here, there and everywhere. But they survived and, yeah, it was pretty remarkable stuff. I just add that, that perhaps, you know, it was a bit of an uphill task for Hank because they had six first team players out for this game. Uh, they were they were missing from the start their their best goal scorer on Uachu. So uh, there weren't ideal conditions for them, but but nonetheless from a rapid point of view you can only face the team that's in front of you. And I thought that Feldhofer got the match plan spot on and the the players executed it perfectly. So lots of reasons to be positive and some potentially exciting UEFA Europa Conference League playoff tyres. Bit of a mouthful there. I wanted to make sure I got that right. But some pretty exciting tyres to look forward to as well. Yeah, it does get a bit confusing with that sort of the last 32 split up into 16 and 16. So Lask have got a bye. Um, Rapid have played their way into that that first round. But just on, on the, the emissions uh, from Genk, you know, Onu actually did come on in the end. And when you're trying to defend a vital 1-0 lead, you don't want to be playing against a, a two um, a more than two meter tall striker is it does put the nerves in you and Ito you know Ito this this guy on the wing for for Genk looked absolutely fantastic throughout this group stage and I think they kept him really quiet and instead it was uh, it was the young lad who came on wasn't it Oyen who really created danger you know came on and, and made a big impact for for Genk but is it a case of Rapid riding their luck or can we say they deserved it because I, I felt it was a bit of both you know Gartner looked equally shaky in goal a couple of times with the ball at his feet, but made some brilliant saves as well. So I felt like it would have been... Yeah, it's, it's one of those games. It's the exact opposite, actually. Genk came to Rapid on match day one, nicked it in injury time, and they would have felt like they deserved the win. But it was equally harsh on Rapid to lose. And I think this would have been the same. Genk deserved their equaliser, probably. But at the same time, Rapid deserved to win. So I just think if we're going to ask the question that we did in the others... Is this the group that lies? Did, did Rapid somehow sneak through? Because I, I can't really believe that Genk have finished bottom of that group and gone out and, and Rapid have ended up third going onwards. Just to start my answer there on the topic of Paul Gartler. Paul Gartler, in the knockout stages, please do not try and dribble the ball around attackers. That uh, really, uh, you know, it was a bit of a heart and mouth moment for me. Um, but did the table lie well? Not really. They they beat Dinamo Zagreb. This is a, a good Dinamo Zagreb, and they beat them at home. Um, and like you say, probably on the balance of these two tyres against Tank, you know, the Belgians deserved the first one, and you could arguably make a case for Rapid deserving this one. So I don't really think the table lies. Rapid probably deserved to finish third. I just felt overall, perhaps, it was it was a bit of a poor group stage campaign for Rapid, but they picked out two really really big results and we said going in you know after match day four they're going to need one big result now at least against you know a, one big unlikely looking result and I'm just really happy that they managed to pull it out of the bag on match day six and they did it so you know three Austrian teams playing football in Europe after Christmas amazing stuff can I just read the the list of potential opponents for for Rapid Vienna out now as well because there's some really interesting ones in there 
It could be Maccabi Tel Aviv, who we've seen very recently in action against Lask. Partizan Belgrade, a Bodo Glimt team that, that beat Roma 6-1. Randers, who are first-time qualifiers for the knockout stages from Denmark. Slavia Prague. A particularly interesting one here, Pauk, because that is, of course, where former Rapid Vienna captain Stefan Schwab plays. Vitesse or Tottenham, depending on the result of that final uh, round game, which uh, hasn't been played at the time of recording, and Karabag of Azerbaijan. So some really interesting ones there. I want Pauk. I'm putting it up there now. Stefan Schwab's return. That would be brilliant. Uh, Simon, what are you fancying or who, who do you want to avoid from those, if anyone? Well, uh, if Tottenham qualify, then obviously we don't want to have Tottenham because I think that that will mean uh, that Rapid Vienna's journey in the Conference League will be very, very short. <laughs> but um, any of the other seven teams would be, you know, a winnable tie. And Rapid can look at this and think, hey, hold on a second. We could actually go quite far in this competition now. So very exciting. I don't want them to play against Bordeaux Glimt. I think that this is a really good uh, glimpse team of course by that point the Norwegian season will have been on hiatus for about two months but then last year we saw that Molde came to you know they played Rapid at a time when they weren't in season anymore and, and, and still did very well so yeah Bodo Glimp for me is one I'd like to avoid the rest I think are potentially winnable games and Pauk of course how often in European football do you get to play against your your former club you know when you're when you're not a big team and you're not in the Champions League every season it's quite a rare occurrence, I think, for, for Pauk to be drawn against Rapid, so I would like to see it. Just to summarise what Lee said earlier about um, the fact that we have three teams in the knockout stages, it's the first time this has happened since 1983-84. So it's uh, a historic season for Austrian football uh, in Europe, and it's incredibly exciting for us as well. And also the matches won't be at the same time either, because they're going to be in three separate rounds on three separate evenings. So, you know, we'll be able to watch all of them. Massive football trip potential. Just one last thing about Rapid before uh, we move on to Sturm. And it's that I just want to say, you know, bring some positivity to Rapid. Four defeats here in these group stages and, and it's not been positive at times, but I think they can be really excited. You know, this is the perfect time for them going into the winter break, the new coach in charge. It's really nice that they've got this to look forward to afterwards. And I think they'll be taking the Europa Conference League really quite seriously. Um, I think they've got a chance to build towards it. And I just thought in, in terms of attitude, in terms of substitutions, in terms of everything, the game looked really different under Feldhofer last night. You saw Kitagawa coming on at halftime instead of just being given 10 minutes at the end. He was uh, pushing around, you know, actually looked motivated. I saw him even coming back doing some defending. You don't see that very often. And my hot take is I don't think they missed Maxi Hoffman in defence. He's a club captain. You know, he's a, a very important figure for the team. But... I don't think they missed him. You know, they played with Mormon instead. They've got younger players. You saw that they brought Strunz on as well, um, just a young striker when, when Caro went off. So it looks like Feldhoff is just trying to do things a bit of a different way. And it was sort of refreshing to see after the, the stale end to the, to the Didi Kubauer era. Yeah, I, I feel that towards the end of Kubauer's reign, there were a lot of um, kind of predictable patterns. You knew who was going to come on at which point of the game where they were going to play, which formation. He very much had his favourites. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. Perhaps we'll start seeing those same similar patterns from Feldhofer as time passes. But for now, it's just nice to see a few new things. And uh, hopefully it will we'll give a few players like Kitagawa a bit of confidence and momentum to know that he's got a coach that's going to give him more of a chance rather than, as you say, Tom, just those 10 minutes at the end. I saw him last night. I saw him win a 50-50 duel with a high ball in the air, 
beat the defender, run away with it. And I mean, in the end, it didn't go anywhere, but it's like it used up a valuable minute for Rapid as the time was ticking away. So I thought he never would have won that challenge before. There's no, he probably wouldn't have even gone in for it. So yeah, who knows? Exciting times anyway for Rapid. It's come at just the right time for them before the, the long winter break. Let's move on to, to Sturm because they made a little bit of a habit of uh, picking up Europa League points near the end of that group stage. And they bowed out at least with a very creditable 1-1 draw at home to Monaco on match day six. So how does that leave Sturm's campaign looking back on that? Sturm's campaign was one with plenty of good performances, which often just didn't bring the results. If you look at this group, you had Real Sociedad, who have been the La Liga leaders for a lot of the early part of this season. Monaco, recent Champions League semi-final participants and PSV Eindhoven as well, who are another big European name. So they were in a very, very tough group, arguably the toughest Europa League group. And they still performed very creditably uh, for much of the campaign. So I'm really glad that they've you know, got a few results towards the end because I don't think they deserve to, to finish the group stages completely empty-handed. Obviously, they'll be disappointed to be the only Austrian team that aren't staying in European competition over the winter. But um, yeah, you know, on the basis of, of, of that group, I think they did deserve to finish bottom. I can only echo what Lee said there. I think um, to pick up um, two draws in the final three matches of the, of the Europa League campaign is a credit to them. Maybe they deserved uh, another point elsewhere, but in the end, I think they'll be happy just to not go out of Europe on zero points, which looked like a possibility after the first three matches. I think creditable has been our sort of key word with Sturm in this campaign, hasn't it? You know, Lee used it there as well. You know, a lot of creditable performances, but at the end of the day, that doesn't give you much consolation, does it? So I'm happy for them at least that they came away with a couple of points. You know, it does make a difference as well, coefficient-wise, you know, not just getting six defeats. That's pretty demoralising from any group, even a tough one, if you come away with six defeats from six. So to get two decent points... It's not the end of the world. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an okay return in the end. And I think from this, now they've got the points. They can use this as, as a building block. And the likelihood is they're going to be playing European football maybe in a couple of the next few seasons. They'll hope to make that a regular thing. And this is definitely the kind of thing where you can use the experience to, to help them. If they, imagine if they got a more sort of more normal and average group in European competition next season. I'm sure the things they learned and, and the tough football that they had to play in this group is going to stand them in good stead next season. You feel that in the case of Sturm, they're building for something longer term. They've got a coach, Christian Ilse, who is bringing in quite a few young players. And and yeah, over the coming years, you, you wouldn't bet against them to, to challenge a bit more in Europe. And I'd, I'd have to say, I hope I'd see them in the Conference League then because I, I feel that that may be more at their level. The Europa League has become a hell of a lot more competitive since the introduction of the Conference League. So maybe the Conference League would be a better fit for them. In terms of last night as well, i just add that, you know, you said it's good they got a couple of points towards the end of the campaign. I think they, they should have arguably won last night because you had that brilliant chance for Manprit Sakaria when he was clean through and really should be at least hitting the target from, from that kind of position. So you could say that they, you know, they might well have, have won it as well. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. It was a little bit of a microcosm of, of some of their Europa League performances. Obviously, it came away with a, a decent result in the end, but Jansha with the penalty, it was a little bit of luck this time falling Sturm's way. They've had a little bit of bad luck at other times, you know, with, with the way the penalty was awarded, the, the, the ball just sort of catching an arm. VAR had a look at it, Sturm penalty. But Jansha, 
he dispatched that absolutely brilliantly. That's confidence. Sitting bottom of the group, <laughs> playing at home to Monaco, he smashed the penalty right into the top corner. Absolutely perfect. But then the goal that they conceded was... It was a bit scrappy, wasn't it? They'll, they'll probably be a, bit, a little bit disappointed that that was the leveller. You know, Folland perhaps should have levelled before with a, a cleaner goal that, that ended up um, hitting the, the bar. But then the goal that did go in, you know, from just the ball across into the mixer and it all got a bit scrappy before Monaco stuck it in the back of the net. How, how do you think they'll feel about that? Well, disappointed, obviously, but far less disappointed than if there had been something riding on it. Um, you know, it, it was essentially a dead rubber at the end. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, you know, if there's a chance to beat Monaco, they'd obviously want to do that. It would be massive for their confidence. Uh, it just wasn't quite to be this time. But but as you say, plenty of, of confidence and belief that this young Storm side can do something in the future. It wasn't quite to be, but they went away with probably the best performance that they've given in the group stages, I would argue. And they go away at least with a point. They will not continue in Europe. But before we wrap up this podcast, can we say that this is one of the best ever weeks we've had on the other Bundesliga podcast in terms of reviewing and wrapping up European football. Is is this like, is this a campaign, a group stage campaign for Austrian teams for the ages? Because it, it just feels so positive on this episode. There's, there's not much, you know, the worst result that we got was Sturm 1, Monaco 1, which in itself is very, very good. So how are we feeling about this? Because I'm, I'm pretty happy about how, how things went on match day six. I'm loving it. Looking forward to 2022. No, it's incredible. This is um, it, this doesn't usually happen. We we've been used to we've been used to having two teams in the knockouts over the last four seasons, which in itself is is not bad at all. Of course, it's yeah, pretty amazing. But when you look at like the the teams left in Europe, and there's only teams from from England, Spain, Italy, Germany, France, Portugal, and Holland who have more teams in Europe than Austria. So the teams you expect to have more do have more than Austria. There, the eighth best league in Europe and also the, the eighth most teams left in Europe. So it's really, really fantastic. So, so we're flying high in eighth and, and potentially deserving to be in that eighth spot as well. You know, we're not there by accident. Austria are, are sticking to their, their P8 right now. They certainly are. And I think that, you know, they'll be the envy of a lot of other countries around Europe because they are consistently now, we can say consistently because it's been a few years, consistently overachieving doing so with young teams on small budgets generally okay that that doesn't necessarily apply to Salzburg but it but it certainly does to the rest and I just think that there'll be a lot of countries out there thinking what can we do to be like Austria and uh, I think we really need to cherish this and enjoy this because you know football changes very quickly just uh you know you you look at 10 years ago Spanish teams were the the dominant force on the continent and and now you know they certainly aren't. They're a long way from that. And this could change for Austria in five years. In five years' time, we might not be seeing this same level of success. So it's important to enjoy it now, I think, and, and make the most of it while Austria is is in such a high place. Yeah, there's so much doom and gloom in football, isn't there? We, we get down about so much stuff. Uh, so let's enjoy it while we've got it. There's no need to, to rue the 1-1 draw for Sturm too much. We can enjoy that. We can enjoy everything else. And at the end of the day, we've got to look back on a, a European week in which the Austrian teams took 10 points from a possible 12. Three wins and a draw. A brilliant way to say goodbye to European football for 2021, wasn't it? Tom, it was brilliant. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I'm just very happy. On that note, I suppose, a happy Simon. It's a happy Tom as well. Lee, are you feeling as happy 
Uh, certainly, yeah. I mean, I'm just looking forward to seeing the draw on Monday, which will, will take place Yeah, just a couple of days from, from the time we're recording. And just to find out now, I want to know who we've got. Who will Salzburg be facing? I want to know who Rapid will be facing for Lask. We'll, of course, have to wait because they're straight through to the last 16. But yeah, just looking forward to the draw now. More Champions League excitement for us to come in 2022. More UEFA Europa Conference League excitement to come for us in 2022. And uh, yes, definitely, there's going to be some excitement with the draw. So follow that on our Twitter over at Other Bundesliga. We'll be covering all of that for you. Um, and we're looking forward to it. Yeah, we always enjoy a good draw, don't we? It's, it's great having having more names in the pot, more teams to get excited about, more more balls to get excited about. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. I thought of one more thing. It's been a great week for Austrian football. But it's also been a great week for the other Bundesliga. We passed 11,000 followers on Wednesday night just after Salzburg had qualified for the round of 16, which I think is a perfect occasion to reach another thousand followers. Yeah, it was. You're right. It's a small milestone to, to get from uh, you know 10,900 to 11,000. So thanks very much for everybody who's followed us, to everyone who's listening to this, to everyone who's supporting us. We really, really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure being able to do this in 2021. Uh, we will be back with one more podcast before the year is done because the Austrian Bundesliga hasn't quite wrapped up for the season just yet. But once the Austrian Bundesliga is finished and we know the lie of the land going into the month-long winter break, we'll be looking at that because uh, there is an insane battle going on right now for the all-important top six places and uh, some big teams are going to get stranded in that bottom six. You can pretty much say that for sure. So a lot of Austrian Bundesliga action to round up before Christmas. But other than that, if you don't join us and you're, you're just interested in the European football podcast, then thanks for coming along on this ride with us this season. We look forward to being back with you in 2022. Have a Merry Christmas and have a Happy New Year and we'll be back with the other Bundesliga podcast very soon. If you've enjoyed this episode, tweet us at Other Bundesliga and let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. All music on the Other Bundesliga appears courtesy of Gabriel Geber at Tongeber Studios. For something completely different, why not check out The Amelia Project, an audio fiction podcast co-produced in Vienna.